Chris. Good, man. How you doing? Doing quite well. How are you? Not bad. Looks like we just left the mountain state of West Virginia. We're now in Pennsylvania. The great Got Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Day three of our, I don't know if it's a great American road trip, but our uh, day three of our mini Appalachian road trip. Headed back to the Niagara Frontier. Yeah, so uh, let's recount what we've done on our trip so far. Well, we just stopped at Sheets, which to me is kind of a, a mecca of... Uh, uh, I mean, you can't go to Western PA without going to a Sheets. I guess we were in West Virginia, but it was the first time I've been in a Sheets in probably three or four years. I was left impressed. Yeah, no, Sheets is great. Uh, I'm going to say something very controversial, so it's probably going to get us uh, kicked off of... Uh, any, any place that's posting this, but uh, Sheets is uh, better than Wawa. There, I said it. Is Sheets also better than uh, Delta Sonic? Oh, yeah. There's not even yeah. a question. But Delta Sonic has the car wash. I don't think Sheets has a car wash. There might be some Sheets with a car wash. Maybe. I don't know. Is Sheets better than a Stewart's? <sighs> Stewart's has a very special place in my heart. So does mine. I don't think you can buy firewood at a Sheets. I don't think you can buy live night crawlers at a Sheets. The the ice cream at a Sheets or at a at a Stewart's is out of this world. Do you know why the ice cream at Stewart's is so good? Uh, it's in Dairy Country. Yes, and owned by Cornellians. I bet you're gonna say owned by Cornellians. It's a Cornell Ag School family, and I think they have collaborated a lot with uh, the dairy program at Cornell in Ithaca, New York to really develop all their ice cream flavors. What's your, what's your favorite Stewart's ice cream? Oh, I don't know. Maybe uh, butter pecan. Butter uh, pecan. See, I'm a, I'm a one, one flavor guy, and that flavor is mint cookie crumble. Mint I knew it had mint. I, I couldn't remember. It's like mint chip and cookies and cream combined into one amazing mint-flavored Oreo loaded creamy goodness. That sounds delicious. But going back to the sheets though, uh, a couple of observations. One, there was like a whole restaurant inside the sheets. Yeah. Which I don't, I guess I've seen that at Delta Sonic, but it seemed like the quality of the food was much better. You know, at Stewart's, there's like a, there's a counter and like you, you can get a sub made, but this seemed like much more extensive. You got jalapeno poppers freshly made. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, the food offering is, is outrageous. Secondly, they actually had some healthy offerings at the Sheets. They had fruit, they had carrots, they had celery, they had oatmeal. They did have healthy offerings. I got a fried chicken sandwich with jalapeno poppers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, granted, the oatmeal was $4. I'm like, this is ridiculous for oatmeal. Uh, but they had some healthy offerings. They also had some beef jerky that I could enjoy because it was nitrate-free. I believe it was duck jerky, actually. Duck, duck and pork jerky, yeah, actually, not, not beef jerky. But that was pretty good. Also, the beer prices were pretty good, too. Like, you get a six-pack of Sierra Nevada for nine bucks. I, I was wondering it was taking you so long. Well, I was just, you know, I like to... To me, gas stations are part of the American cultural aesthetic, so I was just trying to take it all in. I do usually like to get uh, a local product while I'm in... Uh, a gas station as well. This time I was in a little bit of a rush. Uh, just got the sandwich. Didn't check out like if there's uh, some local brand of, of potato chip with a, a, a unique flavor or something like that, or local candy. Um, 
missed out on that this time. Yeah. So I got I got the jerky. I don't actually know where the jerky was made. I have the package right here. I probably shouldn't look at it while I'm driving. You probably shouldn't eat it either. Um, why don't you look at it? All right, I'm looking at it. This is uh, made in the USA. Yeah, but is there Somewhere. a state? Is there a city? Yes, Horse Springs, New Mexico. Oh wow! So real, real slice of West Virginia flavor at the Sheets, outside of Morgantown, Virginia. Yeah. Anyways, I recommend it. But it's Patterson's brand. Uh, Pearson, Pearson, Pearson Ranch, Pearson, Pearson, Pearson Ranch jerky, duck and pork. All right, so uh, if you're listening and you're looking for uh, a sponsorship opportunity, uh, Pearson Ranch, you've got our uh, our endorsement already. Uh, why don't we, we uh, see if we can work something out here? So the only other thing I wanted to mention about the sheets was the unfortunate kind of awareness that there was panhandlers, there was, there was a woman who came up both to us who very clearly... Uh, was addicted to some sort of illicit substance. Uh, you don't really see that much in suburban Buffalo. I've, I've never experienced that in suburban Buffalo. I don't spend much time in the suburbs. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm just saying suburban Buffalo because we're in the suburbs of Morgantown. We weren't like in the city proper right. in Morgantown. Last week. Good point, good point. Um, so I, 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 it's sad. Um, I, I felt bad. I don't have any other comment other than it was sad and I felt bad, so I don't know okay. why I brought that up. Yeah, I don't know why either. Um, it's uh, bumming out our, our, our listener. Well, you know, I'm a sensitive guy. I'm, I don't know if I'm an empathetic guy, but I'm, I'm a sensitive guy, so, you know, some of those things kind of resonate with me. Um, kind of like how I listen to music, right? I, I like to listen to music that I can really uh, feel. Uh, I listen to the music with a lot of emotion and a lot of complexity in it. You have nothing to say to that. No, well, I. What's interesting, I, 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 I hate to contradict you on air, and I feel like lately, all, all you've been playing is this very just kind of atmospheric, yeah, sound wall. Very, yeah, that, because you can viscerally feel the emotion of the sound. But I, I, I don't feel like there is any emotion. I feel like it's just kind of like here is an atmosphere of, you know, I don't even. It's just kind of sound that meanders and doesn't go anywhere. It's just sound. But that, I mean, first of all, I don't know if it sounds exactly like that. For our listeners... No, that was way more melodic than anything we've listened to for the last several hours. For our listeners at home, we've been listening to Kate LeBon, Aldous Harding. We were just listening to Youth Lagoon. These sound walls, these soundscapes, very atmospheric, very... uh, uh, I'm not gonna. Kate LeBond uh, actually amused me because several times uh, her song would start to actually do something that was kind of pretty, and then she would immediately realize that she'd made a mistake and she wasn't being cool anymore. So she would throw in like some sort of discordant, like sax, somebody stepping on a saxophone's balls or something, and be like, it's like, yep, she, she, she realized she wasn't going to be cool anymore. Yeah, and so, uh, sometimes she would have lyrics that are to make sense, and she's like, oh, we can't have that. Uh, so then she would kind of go off into that abstract poetry. I like Kate LeBond. I, I, but I, I, I liked it too, but I, I saw the game she was playing. Saw right through it. I don't know if... It, I, I, don't think, I don't think she's 
playing a game. She's an artist. She's she's making art that I think is very pretty sounding. And I think there's actually something to be said about these kind of soundscapes in 21st century America. You kind of just need to kind of check out a bit because everything is just so overwhelming.
but uh, they're not going to kill you. They're kind um, of they're kind of fun to to lure into the boat. Yeah, yeah. yeah we uh, we we did hike two different state high points: uh, Spruce Knob, Spruce Knob of uh, West Virginia, and uh, Backbone Mountain slash Coys Coys Points or Hoyt. Hoyt, I think it was Koi. Koi, Koi Peak. <laughs> Koi, largemouth bass, what's the difference? Yeah, um, spelled differently, but yeah. Yeah. Koi's Point. The uh, high point in Maryland, Maryland. on back, back, uh, Bare Neck Ridge, back, Backbone Bone. Mountain. Backbone <laughs> <laughs> We're really great state high pointers that we can even tell you the, the high point that we climbed not 90 minutes ago. But yeah, today's hike was nice. Uh, short, short. We pretty much ran up the mountain and down in, in under an hour. Yeah, decent, decent view at the top. Nothing. Uh, you know, it, it, had we done this before we did Spruce Knob, I think it might have been a little bit of a nice little appetizer as opposed to a, 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 a bit of a shrug of the shoulders of what is vastly more beautiful than I see on an average day. Yeah, although. You know, you were able to see pretty far into Maryland. I was actually wondering if one of the bridges that we were looking at was the Camp David Bridge. But I think I think that probably would be too far away. That was probably 50, 60 miles away. I don't think we could see that far. Yeah. And in some ways, in terms of the order of the hikes that we did this weekend, we kind of went from most dramatic to least dramatic. Because we did Seneca Rocks first. Right. Then Spruce Knob. And Spruce Knob was fantastic, don't get me wrong. But Seneca Rocks was kind of national park quality. Oh, very, yeah, very yeah. dramatic. Uh, very rugged, jagged, bare rock. Um, you're on this very narrow, not quite a knife's edge, but uh, very narrow, rocky ridge with 200 to 400 foot falls on either side of you. Um, very, very cool. So I would say this, like, I, I think we decided to go to West Virginia for two reasons. One, the Adirondacks were going to be too snowy, too cold. And secondly, like, State High Point. State High Point. Now, uh, it ended up being that West Virginia was pretty cold. Uh, and there was snow on top of the mountain yesterday. It was snowing. I shouldn't say the snow was accumulating, but it was snowing on top of the mountain yesterday. Um, and then uh, I'd say I saw enough of West Virginia that I'd, I'd want to come back, especially now that I've learned about... Um, uh, Dolly Sods? Dolly Sods. Tell us about Dolly Sods. What is Dolly Sods? So I had never, 48 hours ago, I had never heard of the name Dolly Sods before in my life. Um, but it's a very, very intriguing uh, wilderness area, part of the National Forest, the Monongahela National Forest in West Virginia. It's probably, I think, around 30,000, 40,000 acres. So not huge, but, you know, sizable. Uh, maybe five miles wide, 20 miles long. And it's on top of this plateau, the only plateau on the east coast, on the eastern seaboard of North America. And the elevation's about 4,000, 4,100 feet. It's a, it's a very different terrain, very different climate than everything else you have around it. Uh, uh, we drove over Dolly Sods, but really didn't see much of it today. We took a dirt road for probably about half an hour. We got to a vista, and we saw a little bit of it. I'd say it looked like, for, for the listeners who may be familiar with the uh, English moor, it looked like a little bit like an English moor, rocky and grassy and wet and boggy. Um, it was very intriguing. Uh, I, I want to go back, uh, just just given what little I've learned about it thus far. And again, I had never heard about it uh, until 48 hours ago. We really go out of our way to make this show accessible to the common man. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's just like an English, English more, you know, like, like everybody, like, like you're normal, like an average English Oh, come on. We're not on. talking about like a... The Moors. Dartmoor. There's a bunch of books where they talk about the Moors. Uh, Secret Garden, do they talk about the Moors? Maybe they do. Okay, fair. Um, the, I think the I just... The Hound of the Baskervilles. Hound of the Baskervilles. I think I described a Moor well enough such that even if you were unfamiliar with the term Moor, you get a sense for what we're talking about. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. That's fair. I shouldn't I shouldn't criticize. But I don't actually think our podcast is that accessible to the common man because it is. It's on uh, all of the, the free down free to download. Uh, uh, yes, literally, but figuratively, not the most accessible podcast. I don't I don't know if we're everybody's cup of tea. Oh, we're certainly not. I you're, listened to us the other day, and I was like, "Who are these blowhards?" You're my cup of tea. Ah, shucks, thanks. You're, you're pretty good yourself, man. So, talking about the white whale and Captain Ahab, the great American kind of quest. Sure. Um, I think about another another novel, Huck Finn, which I know we've read in our book club, like going back twelve years. Yeah, yeah, great book. Uh, which is about floating on a raft down uh, the Mississippi River Basin. And we are in the Mississippi River Basin right now. Um, and actually, a lot of the rivers that we drove by this afternoon uh, flow into the Ohio, which flows into the Mississippi. Um, there's something about the, the idea of being on in transit that I think is kind of... Yeah, in a way, it was, it's, a, it's one of the first road novels. Yes, yes. Yeah. I never really thought of it that way, but yeah, yeah, it really is. And so, on the way, on our way down Backbone Mountain, Back Breakneck Ridge, um, <laughs> whatever it was called, we apologize to the state of Maryland. Um, we met this guy Sean, who seemed to be on his own own kind of white whale quest or his own Huck Finn rafting journey. Uh, he didn't have a, a, a fugitive slave and Jim with him, but. Uh, this guy, Sean, from Springfield, Massachusetts, we struck up a conversation with him, and he said he was driving out to Utah just to move out there. Yeah. And we asked him what his situation was. He's like, well, I sleep in my car. Uh, apparently, he's got, like, a, a plywood platform in his trunk so he can just roll out a sleeping bag. And honestly, I don't know about you, Chris, I was kind of jealous. Yeah, I mean... I, I, it sounds like a great time, with the exception of the fact that I'm old enough that my back would hurt every night. Yes, yes. Uh, if I was 15 years younger, I'd probably be jealous because I think this guy's looking for some bit, some slice of the American dream. And I actually think that's what we've been trying to do this weekend too. Some little slice of the American dream: the open road, the fresh air. Yeah, I think we're we're, we're living a this is good living right now. Well, after that meal that you cooked last night. Oh man, we had uh, just a delicious meal last night. We uh, and, and all thanks to Matt. Give me credit where credits due. All, all right, thanks to Matt. So we did a six-hour hike yesterday. It was long. It was twelve miles. We were tired, and Chris was like, "Do you really want to make a fire when we get back to the cabin?" It was. Like, it was also quite cold out. It was cold, but yeah. even more of a reason to make a fire. Keep you warm. And I was like, yeah, I want to make a fire. We're at a cabin in West Virginia. Like, let's make a fire. Now, granted, we had to go to the supermarket to buy firewood. Uh, well, we thought we did. I think we would have been fine without it. 
I don't think so. I disagree. Oh, I, you know what? You're right. At the at the tail end, that the firewood came in. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And the, the the firewood that we bought much higher quality burn than what we were burning out the land. Yeah. And so we were able to make uh, steak and onions and grilled peppers, cast iron skillet over the open flame, and it was fantastic. Yeah. And. and little old me, I was like, oh, let's just go inside and do it on the stove inside the cabin. No, but oh my god, that over the open flame. Oof. Yeah, it was fun. It was amazing. Fun. It was a nice capstone to the evening, nice capstone to the trip, and we have a little, we have a little denouement today. Uh, but now is the real kind of denouement as we slowly descend the Allegheny Plateau down to the Great Lakes Basin. Uh, I've learned so much about the Appalachians because... Now, apparently there's the the Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah, which we didn't go to, right? And that's where the Appalachian Trail is on until it hits New York. Then there's the, we talked about this yesterday, there's the Ridge and Valley feature, which is where we did our hiking yesterday. These very right. long, elongated 15, 20, 25 mile long mountains. Then, apparently, just learned this today. Beyond that, there's the Allegheny Mountains. And then beyond that, there's the Allegheny Plateau. And like where Morgantown, West Virginia is, where Pittsburgh is, where uh, Allegheny National Forest is, and, and Northwest Pennsylvania, that's all the Allegheny Plateau. And the Allegheny Plateau pretty much extends to, as I think about it, to my house. Um, I think my house is in, in, in suburbs of, Orchard, of, of Buffalo, New York, in Orchard Park, New York is really in the foothills of the Allegheny Plateau. Geography. I love it. You can you, you learn so much about a place by understanding how the geography affects the place. Right. <clears throat> and what I have learned so much about West Virginia this week is it's really, really hard to get from point A to point B. Yeah, it's almost... Uh, we, talk, we were talking about the economy before. The idea of there being like an integrated state economy is kind of remote just because it's difficult to get from town to town yes. uh, yeah. within the state. And as you were saying before, Morgantown is kind of in the orbit of uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, when you get to the southeastern section of the state or the eastern section of the state, more in the orbit of Washington, D.C. And I definitely felt the D.C. vibe this morning when, we stopped, in when we stopped in Davis. It was kind of a little ski resort area outside of Davis, West Virginia. I would go back to Davis. That was right by Dolly Sods, too. Yeah. Uh, and then I think you have Charleston, West Virginia, which I've only been to once in my life, and honestly just seems to be smack dab in the middle of West Virginia. Yeah, I have no first-hand experience with Charleston. And then in the south, well, you have Wheeling, which I think is also like Pittsburgh, Cleveland, from the industrial city, kind of in that Pittsburgh, Cleveland, you know, orbit. And then um, in the south, I think you just have a bunch of smaller cities that are kind of aligned with uh, the state of Virginia. Down there, Lynchburg, Blacksburg, etc. Right. So, uh, yeah, West Virginia has a culture, but probably economically, the entire state isn't really tied together. And in fact, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm just speaking completely, uh, completely making this up right now. But I wouldn't be surprised if economically the regions of West Virginia had more in common with their neighboring states than they did with each other. Uh, but that's just my own speculation. 
you like you, you mean they do more commerce yes. with yeah because because economically what they have in common is their their mountainous their there's a lot of the coal economy yeah there's a lot of commonalities but and know, obviously they have the state government and the state government plays a large role and, right and then there's West Virginia University which has just been completely gutted as a university I think you know, thirty or thirty-five of their academic programs have been shuttered. It's, it's really, it's really just sad. Because I mean, talk about a state that probably needs more focus on higher education and the transformative power that you know higher education can bring to local communities, to systems, to developing capacity for change. I'm not saying that everything that higher education is doing today is perfect. I think there's a lot that's that's wrong with higher education today, um, but. It's just sad, I think, what's happened to West Virginia University. It's basically just turned to a for-profit college, a business school, engineering a, school. A sports program and that a sports happens program. to have yeah. a, a, a university attached to it. So, but now we're headed towards Pittsburgh. I think we're just approaching the Pittsburgh, the, the Pittsburgh metropolitan area. Shout out to the Berg. Oh, wait, did I actually... Uh, We're, we're, we're right. I didn't I didn't miss any turns, but we got to do a little jog on uh, on 70 West and then hit 79 North. I guess we're we're just approaching Washington, PA, which is probably named after General George Washington. I'm assuming. Great assumption. <laughs> is this where the Whiskey Rebellion took place? Maybe West, it's Western PA. Uh, maybe this is where the maybe this, maybe this is named Washington because this is like this is where Washington. Squelch the first domestic discontent of our fledging country. I have no idea. It's somewhere in Western PA. Yeah, somewhere in Western PA. I don't know exactly either. Um, Scots Irish, right? Yeah. They were the ones who led the whiskey rebellion. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, here's a here's a fun fact. What what is unique about the state motto of the state of Maryland? I don't know. It is the only state motto that is in Italian. Really? Yeah, you've got some Latin, you've got some English, uh, but one in Italian for some reason. Do you know what it is? Uh, oh my goodness, it's it translates into feminine words, masculine deeds. So it's a, it's a little bit sexist as well. Um, but Feminine uh, words, masculine deeds? Yeah. I don't even know what that means. I think it means speak softly but carry a big stick. Yeah, okay. Is, is the what they're trying to get at there? It's the, the connotation being that females speak softly. Uh, you know, uh, maybe we have to go back in time and talk to the, the founders of the state of Maryland to ask what they were thinking. And were there, there were probably a lot of Italian immigrants to Baltimore. Uh, they probably weren't the people who were deciding what the state motto was. Yeah. Um, why it's in Italian, I do not know. Italian immigrants have been coming up a lot on this podcast. I mean, we were talking about Big Night, Stanley Tucci, uh, in the last episode. So is uh, New York State state motto the Empire State? Or is that our... Uh, no, it's Excelsior. 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 Which is, a, which is Latin. Latin. Ever ever ever. Which is a great name. Especially if you're a bunch of high peak baggers like uh, Chris and myself. Hey, Excelsior. Uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, Virginia, I believe, is six Semper Tyrannus. 
So, and that's a motto. I believe that's their state motto. There's also a state nickname. Right. What's the state nickname for Virginia? Virginia's for lovers? No, that's a state uh, tourist tag. Uh, the Old Dominion state? Old, Dom- Old Dominion. I think that's their, their Like Pennsylvania is the Keystone state. Keystone state. There are four states that are commonwealths. What are they? Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Kentucky. I don't know the four. Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. Did I get the first three? Yeah. Three out of four ain't bad. Yeah. Better proportions than the meatloaf song. Better than meatloaf. Yeah. Three. Yeah. Three quarters is more than. Two thirds. Three. I had to think about it for a moment. It's like, yeah, yeah, that is better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, from a grade perspective, that's seventy-five percent. Now, from a slope perspective, uh, you got to take the arc, the arc tangent of 0.75, which I can't. I can't do that mental math. I, I doubt anybody can do that mental math. Well, I'm sure somebody can. Well, trigonometry, like you pretty much just need to know what the numbers are, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I barely passed trig. Yeah. So, given that we've been doing so much hiking, we started talking about the difference between slope and grade. Grade is a percentage where, like, if you if you do a thousand feet vertical and a thousand feet uh, horizontal, your slope would be a hundred percent. Your your I'm sorry, your grade would be a hundred percent. Which I have I'm doing the math in my head, and that seems like it's forty five degrees. That's forty five degrees. Yeah. So somebody can do the math in their head. The arc tangent of one is forty point four five. Um, now the so that that's the grade, but the slope is the angle associated with that, and that you you need to do the arc tangent of the of the uh, of the um, of the grade. But what's interesting is like your 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 slopes go from zero degrees to ninety degrees. Ninety degrees is pretty much an infinite grade, right? Because you're going up straight up. So in you, you go zero feet horizontally, you go up, you know, a thousand feet vertically, and you're at a 90 degree. 90 degree angle. 90 degree angle. Right. And what we learned also is that a, it seems like the maximum grade allowed on roads in West Virginia is nine, 9%. Right. We saw a lot of signs that warned trucks that 9%. We never saw anything more than a nine percent grade, so that's just a that's just like a bit of a hunch on our part, as opposed to we play we play fast and loose with the facts on uh, tripping on roads with with Chris and Matt. It's just a hunch that the maximum grade allowed by the engineers in West Virginia is nine percent, right? And they have to have a lot of grades in West Virginia because it's it's the mountain state. The mountain state. There we go. There's another state nickname. And I believe their motto is like Montani Sempre uh, Liberty or Libre. Always free in the mountains. I believe it's mountaineers are always free. Mountaineers are always free. I could be. Uh, I, I apologize to anybody uh, who speaks Latin who I'm, uh, I'm making their ears bleed. Uh, but that's that's my my recollection of what they're. Did you take Latin in high school? I did not. You did not. I did not either. It's a so. language. I was like, why would I waste my time with that? Sure, you get some roots, but 
you just study French or Spanish and you'll learn the same Latin roots doing that. That was my thinking. And you'll actually be able to talk to a living person. So you study Spanish? I took Spanish. And, that's, and then Italian. I took some Italian in, in college. Do you still speak a little bit of Italian? I still speak a little Italian. Like if you went to Italy, could you, could you order a cappuccino? Well, I mean, yes, you would just say cappuccino, perfect. I mean, anybody could order a cappuccino. That was, however, if you order a latte, they will give you a cup of milk because latte just means milk. And if you order an americano in uh, Italy, what do you get? I think the americano is an accepted uh, drink. I, I just myself was very simple. I just like uh, espresso, which they just call cafe, um, or, or a cappuccino uh, before before ten or eleven a.m. Uh, I didn't really venture into any of the other beverages. And you can't order cappuccinos after dinner, right? That's like a huge... Cappuccino I, after breakfast is, is a faux pas. But that's not an Italian term. Faux pas? Yeah. No. But no, you speak Italian, so what's the Italian for faux pas? I don't know. Well, yeah, yeah and you say you speak Italian. I, 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 I said I, I speak a little. Never doing a road trip with you in Italy, because I won't be able to know how to translate anything. That's fine by me, Matt, because... Uh, yeah, I don't speak Italian very well. But uh, better than I. If you order pepperoni pizza, you'll just get uh, bell peppers. Another common mistake Americans make. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Because pe pepperoni, pep pepperoncino is peppers. Pepperoni would just be peppers, bell yeah. peppers. This is a good time to bring a, a, a message from today's sponsor. Who is today's sponsor, Chris? Making your coffee at home. It's not that hard. It's practically free. Just You can make your coffee at home. There's no reason to, to wait in line. There's no reason to, to sit in your car to drive through. Just, just make your coffee at home. Making your coffee at home. Proud sponsors of Trippin' on Roads with Chris and Matt. Have we tripped on any roads? I feel like we were doing a bit of a road walk today. We were supposed to do a road walk yesterday. We did a little bit. We did a little bit of a road walk. I, I, haven't, I, didn't, I don't think I actually recall tripping. Though. No, um, I, I did almost break an ankle when we were on our bushwhack. But yeah. On the roads, the road is kind of, yeah. The, the, Maybe we should retitle our podcast, Whack and Bush. You know, maybe maybe our podcast should just be a retrospective on the George W. Bush presidency, and we just whack in the entire the entire podcast. Just like, what was he doing? What was he thinking? Why did he ever think that going into Iraq would be a good idea? Why did he fire all the Al Qaeda experts before September 11th? We'll never know. Why did he think that No Child Left Behind would actually leave No Child Behind? Well, I don't think he did. I think thought that uh, I don't know what he was thinking I think he was a good man who was severely seriously seriously misguided um, do I think he fully knew uh, the impact of his policies probably not until things started to get real in like 2007 2008 I think he was a sociopathic war criminal myself you think he you think he knew what he was doing back in 2003 invading Iraq yeah how could he not know that that hundreds of thousands of Iraqis were going to die it, it, I think he was deluded 
I think he was delusional. I think he thought that America was the shining city on the hill, and we would bring we would bring freedom. We would bring peace and freedom to to these suffering Iraqis. I think he just didn't care. Ah, uh, see, I, that's where you and I disagree. I I think the guy didn't really realize what he was getting into, and and then like 2007 happened, and he's like, oh, things did not go well. So he kind of escaped from the public stage, and what did he do? He started painting. The guy basically had to go to, into PTSD therapy, and now he just paints. Yes, no, nobody who ever painted has ever been evil. I'm not saying he wasn't evil. I'm saying he was very deluded. Like, oh, Hitler painted. Couldn't have been a bad guy. Oh, he paints. I'm not doing a good job of explaining myself, as you know. I'm doing a very good job of being obtuse. <laughs> I don't think you need to be actively evil to be evil. Okay. I think if you, I think you can be delusional and end up engaging in a lot of evil activities, and I think that's what George W. Bush was. I do believe he surrounded himself by a lot of sociopathic people. Sure. Rum, uh, Rumsfeld, Cheney, etc. Yeah, I, I think of the bunch, he was maybe not the most bloodthirsty. You've got, yeah, Rumsfeld and Cheney being particularly bloodthirsty. Villains. And I think they manipulated him. That's my take on the Bush presidency. And he was totally, you know, in the pockets of, of Wall Street. He was totally in the pockets of big oil. He was totally in the pockets of um, the military-industrial complex. Really kind of... Uh, the, Bush, the Bush presidency is, I think, really going to be seen as the first yellow light. The first warning symbol. Of yeah, this Pax Americana thing, it's not gonna end. But I don't know, maybe Reagan. Maybe Reagan was that. Or I don't know, maybe Johnson in the Vietnam War was that. Maybe the yellow lights have always been been blinking. And now now it's like now we're at like, oh wow, stop sign. Or, yeah, I mean if you're gonna say there was such a thing as the Pax Americana, it didn't last very long. I mean you the Korean War just four years after World four or five years yeah. after the end of World War II. But our cultural hegemony, our economic and military power, I mean it it was it was pretty all encompassing for a couple of decades. Uh, and say what you will about uh, Soviet Union, I think that was a lot of they had nuclear weapons and it was just a lot of you know pop, oh, it's an empty pop. shell. Yeah, yeah, it was an empty shell. Yeah. I I, I, I hear that. Um, much like you know modern Russia um, and its pretense to being a superpower. So that's our that's my verdict at least on those eight years of Bush. I don't we're think we now, change the name of the podcast to Bushwhack. No, we're not, we're not we Bush. We're not Bushwhack. Yeah, I'm not I, well I, right I, I'm exhausted by the the five minutes we've spent on the time. There is a book. There is a book I want to read that's on my bookshelf called Fiasco, which is all about the Iraq. Oh, War. by uh, Tom Ricks. Have you read it? I've read that. It's an excellent book. It uh, really lays bare just how sociopathic um, Bush and, and all of his uh, team were. 
just absolutely ravening at the maw to, to get to war, uh, regardless of any consequences. And just the utter incompetence of, of these people who, who just thought that they were so smart, so talented. Um, Ian Brenner, one of the biggest morons uh, ever to have been born, he's the, uh, the guy who was essentially appointed the Viceroy of Iraq, um, decided on a whim to dissolve the Iraqi army. So we pretty much just said to, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand young men who were getting a steady paycheck, hey, we're taking away your steady paycheck, but that's you get always to keep a, your guns. That's always a great idea. So now you've got, a, a hunt, you know, let's just say 150,000, I don't know, I don't remember what the numbers were, uh, recent, now unemployed, well-armed, well-trained men with nothing to do. Giving, giving young men less structure always ends in good outcomes. And more weapons. Yes. Uh, so, uh, Ian Brenner, if you're listening, you're a... Oh, right, we're not supposed to be a bulk. You're, you're not a very smart man. Yeah. You you may deserve to be whacked. But no, well, hold on. Now it sounds like we're making no, a threat. No, no, we're not making a threat. Like, figuratively whacked with a, you know, with a, with a weed whacker. You know. Just like a bush. Like a bush, bush whacker. Like a bush whacker, yeah. 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 Um, I, is that, is that too gendered? I don't know, I'm, I'm not really good with, you know, 2020s kind of gender politics. Like, can we say things like that now? Like, yes, it's going to be a problem if you get a whole bunch of young men, no structure and, and violent weapons. Like, or is that like a sexist thing to say? Uh, no, I, well, it is sexist, but I think it's based in, in experience, right? That... Uh, most of your violence stems from is caused by men. People with the XY chromosome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like. I, I. I'm. I'm a huge liberal leaning, le- a lefty leaning liberal, right? Especially when it comes to economic things. Especially when it comes to some cultural, social things. But like. If somebody would tell me, oh, well, you can't say that men are more inclined to violence, I would just say, like, it's in, it's, like, it's in the data. It's in the facts. And that, that's where I kind of get frustrated with a little bit of, of what happens in terms of radical, uh, radical gender theory. Yeah. And how much of that is nature and nurture, I think, is up for a debate. But what the ultimate effect that men are more prone to violence is uh, undeniable. Speaking of uh, decisive issues from the aughts, and maybe we're just reliving our 20s through this podcast. I don't know, Chris. Um, we talked about the worst parts. The worst parts of our 20s. Um, we talked about Bush. Remember that Larry Summers controversy where he got up at some seminar at Harvard and said, uh, maybe it's biological that you see more men than women in certain uh, in certain professions right yeah and I he, do recall this and he said it wasn't about the average he said it probably on average women are, are smarter and higher performing than men but distributionally there seems to be a higher amount of variance or volatility in outcomes for men than there, there are for women so like when you're looking at like field medal winners or like Nobel Prize winning winners in physics you're more likely to see men because men have greater dispersion in terms of outcomes. And I mean, he got in a lot of hot water for saying that. 
Right. He did. Um, and and this, I'm I, I'm never in my life going to defend Larry Summers, uh, and this is not going to be one of those. This isn't going to be the exception of that. Uh, I think he should have gotten a lot of flack for that. He uh, was ignoring the fact that I think that these prizes have historically, like, I, I don't think they are acknowledging the contributions of women um, the way they should be. And I think there's also a certain degree of um, they're a, uh, a lagging indicator as well, right? Is we're 30 not, years from now. 30 years from now, will we be seeing a lot more women? Even, even if the same, like, fogies were still in charge of the Nobel Prize Committee, um, or the Fields Medal, or whatever uh, you know, prominent award you want to talk about. Uh, I think you'd still be seeing a lot more women, just because the the educational support structures and or, or there just aren't the same barriers to women. Not even this, the, the, there being more support for women. Right. Um, so you're going to have more extraordinary and exceptional women coming through and winning these awards. Well, I'll give you this. Um, I have now learned in my 40 years on this planet that even if there was some truth biologically what have you to what Larry Summers was saying he really did not he really should not have said that in that venue in that way because I think he was speaking to a whole bunch of female researchers and he was basically telling telling them, well, you're never going to be as successful as men in in these fields, right? Which, like, yeah, come on, like, read the like, you know that friend, read the room. Yeah. Well, Larry Summers is not a person who can read the room. Coincidentally, Larry Summers recently was kind of exactly right on inflation. He was warning about the potential for inflation in this country in 2021, saying that there was too much. Uh, stimulus at the same time that there was supply chain problems and you know Powell and Yellen were like well we don't really see the inflation yet it's not really that much of a concern 12 months later yes you know the country country has been having some problems with inflation broken clocks are right twice a day broken clocks are right twice a day and that's that's the great thing about being somebody as rich and powerful as famous as Larry Summers is you can just make pronouncements constantly and, and then, occasionally and something will be right. People will remember what you said that was right. Yeah. Which is actually why we talk so much about about different things on this podcast. Because we're going to eventually say something that's right or hits eventually, the nail on the head. Yeah. And people will be like, wow. Maybe even profound. Wow. Chris, profound Chris and Matt. That, that was the golden nail with the yeah. silver hammer. Maxwell's silver hammer. By the Beatles. By the Beatles. I think that was a Ringo Starr song. Bang, bang, Maxwell, it, Silver. It's I got the Ringo. feel of a Ringo song. Yeah, I, Ringo but I don't think it is, actually, even though it's got the feel of one. I could be mistaken. We were uh, discussing this earlier uh, when we were discussing super, super groups. Super groups. Beatles can't really be a super group because they weren't famous before they came together. Aha! Uh-huh. Beatles reference. Yes. Um, and uh, Maybe the best opening track off of any Beatles album, in my view. Yeah, you're probably right, yeah. Um, but uh, uh, no, the, Matt was very upset with a different super group. I don't know if I would say very he upset. Was no, 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 come on, come on, Chris. Spittle just okay. 
the super group in question is not Bonnie Prince Billy and uh, oh no I'm blanking on the guys and Matthew uh, Roderick no uh, Bonnie Matthew Sweeney McConaughey oh. okay Bonnie Prince Billy and Matthew Sweeney have a super group called Super Wolves which is excellent uh, but this is not that super group. This is Boy Genius featuring uh, Lucy Dacus, Phoebe Bridges, and Julian Baker. And I think they're good. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a, I think they put out good music. I enjoy all three of their, 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 their musics individually. I enjoy their new album. I enjoy their EP that came out a couple of years ago. However, I don't think they're maximizing their potential because I think they're really just playing each other's songs together. Yeah, this really actually matches a lot with what Larry Summers said when he said that uh, women-only supergroups can be good but not great. Yes, yes, yeah. And I, I, honestly, like, I, I know I need to check my prejudices. Perhaps I'm being too hard on Boy Genius. Um, and maybe there is some bias there. I, I certainly hope not. But like when I listen to Boy Genius, I can clearly hear the Lucy Dacus uh, uh, composed songs. I can clearly hear the Phoebe Bridges composed songs. I can clearly hear the Julian Baker composed songs. You probably can't because you're not kind of uh, culture. You're not a nerd. You're not. You're not. A, you're not a pitchfork reading nerd like I am. Right. But um, to me, I think it'd be really exciting if Boy Genius started to kind of make their own sound. And I think they are on like maybe one or two songs. Um, on, the, on their most recent album, which I think is called The Album by Boy Genius. Uh, but I, I, I'm excited to see where they'll go. Um, I'll, I'll put it like that. But yeah, the, the long story short, the Beatles can't be a super group because that was their first group. But, like, uh, say if the Beatles played with, or if John Lennon played with Elvis Costello, I, I think they were contemporaries. Uh, or if Eric, John Lennon played with Eric Clapton, that would be a total super group. What about if John Lennon played with Yoko Ono? I see uh, the Plastic Ono band. I don't know if Yoko was, uh, you know, a, a rock star uh, at the time. I think she was a really good conceptual artist, but that doesn't a super group make. Yeah. Same same with like uh, Linda McCartney and Paul and Linda McCartney and Ram. Not a super group. You know who was the original uh, drummer for the uh, the Beatles? No. All right. So they had a, a, a drummer before Ringo by the name of Pete Best, uh, who got fired from the band. Uh, one of the theories is that he was too good looking, and so he would get all the girls after the shows. And uh, Paul didn't like this. Oh, really? So he fired Pete because he was just too handsome in the group. Now, the other theory is maybe they just didn't think he was that good of a drummer. Um, but I like to think that he was too too handsome. But uh, he got a, a, a modicum of revenge, uh, Pete Best did, because uh, shortly after the Beatles, uh, or, or a, a while after the Beatles became big, they must have had a few albums out by this point, uh, right before Christmas one year, he released an album called Best of the Beatles that uh, was intended to trick people into thinking it was a uh, best of album. Oh, wow. Uh, true story. True story. Sold lots of copies of it, uh, most of them to people who were confused. 
uh, Apple Records sued him, saying you can't call your album Best of the Beatles. And he won because he was best, Pete Best, and he was of the Beatles. And so everything he said was true in the title to the album. And you're allowed to use your own name. Yeah. As he did. Yeah. Well, kudos for him for kind of getting a little bit of something Being out a little of bit opportunistic. Yeah. So I, I, have a, I have a complete non sequitur, uh, but we're driving through Pennsylvania. We're just passing Pittsburgh. And I have, a, I have a geography question for you that I don't know the answer to. I'm wondering if you do. You ready? All right, I'm ready. All right. Can you navigate by boat from the Delaware Bay, uh, Philadelphia, Delaware River? Can you navigate by boat in Pennsylvania from Philadelphia or anywhere along the, the kind of eastern, I'm going to call it the eastern seaboard of Pennsylvania, even though I, I don't think Pennsylvania actually touches the sea, to the Great Lakes? Is it possible to do that by boat in the same way that you can do in New York State? I don't believe so, because I don't believe that there's a canal that crosses the, the uh, Appalachian Mountains. The Allegheny Plateau. Allegheny, I, well, there is the CNO, well, there is the CNO Canal, which, by my understanding, goes from uh, D.C. through Maryland to Pittsburgh. But that's the Potomac. That's the, oh, you're right, the Potomac. Right, because that was actually my first thought was was that exact canal that I said in my head. No, that's that's the Potomac, um, which is the you know the Chesapeake is the Potomac. So you could theoretically do it, but you'd have to leave you'd have to leave Pennsylvania. Well, you'd go down the Delaware through the Atlantic to the Chesapeake. Is there a cross Eastern Maryland Canal? There must be. At some point, somebody must have been like, it would be really convenient to have a canal between the Chesapeake and Delaware Bay, right? Yeah. So, and then what would you do? You would go up the CNO, then the CNO takes you all the way to Pittsburgh, so you're at the Monongahela, and then you would have to take the Monongahela to Pittsburgh, and then take, then hit the three rivers where the Allegheny and the Monongahela become the Ohio. You would hang a right, and you would go up the Allegheny, and then is there a canal from the Allegheny River to Erie? You're, you're, this is beyond my pay grade. Still, um, like, I mean, now I know why, now we know why New York is called the Empire State. Yeah, I mean, the Erie Canal is uh, a marvel of engineering um, that really stitched a continent together in a way that, uh, you know, before wasn't possible. And then I had a you know, brief moment of glory before uh, rise of the railroads. Yeah. But if you think about the elevation changes required of the Erie Canal, not nearly as significant as what would be required of the Allegheny Plateau. Yeah. 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 Because the, the Erie Canal follows the Hudson. Okay, then follows the Mohawk. So you get to, I think, around Little Falls. Yeah. Maybe Herkimer. Well, even today, uh, Pennsylvania is kind of two separate states. Um, like, I think there's only like two trains a day between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Oh, or and something like, like that. There apparently there is a big um, clash of cultures. People in Eastern PA don't really like Western PA, and people in Western PA don't like Eastern PA. Must Sheets uh, versus Wawa, man. Yeah. Uh, Steelers versus Eagles, although Eagles are in the NFC and Steelers are in the AFC. I don't oh, know. Oh, come on. You're, you're embarrassing me here. 
You're gonna ask me. Neither of us know anything about sports. This is not a sports no, podcast. The Eagles are our NFC. Yeah. But please don't ever put me in that position ever again. In the position between Eastern Pennsylvania and Western Pennsylvania? No, that I have gonna, to answer a sports question on the fly. You're, you're gonna be. Uh, you're gonna be the. the the Susquehanna River of Pennsylvania, dividing dividing Pennsylvania into two. The capital of Pennsylvania, Harrisburg. You're going to just be Her- in the, Harrisburg. Harrisburg. You're just going to be dividing, dividing be- between the two. How did Harrisburg become the capital? Just because it's kind of centrally located. Yeah, I think so many state capitals just were okay. Let's figure out where it's centrally located, right? Yeah. That's county seats, right? County seats tend to be in the center of a county uh, to minimize probably you know back. Especially back before cars and roads yeah. were a thing, or paved roads were a thing, it was like, okay, uh, what would be a day-long kind of carriage ride in a horse? Right. Tallahassee, kind of an interesting one. You look at it, uh, sort of in the panhandle of Florida, um, not very centrally located today, but when it was uh, designated the state capital, there was uh, you know, some people living in Jacksonville, some people living in Pensacola, that was about it. And the rest of the state was uh, pretty much empty swamp. So they're like, well, we'll put Tallahassee partway between the two population centers. Was it, was it, where were the Seminole? Were the Seminole in the north of Florida or were they down kind of in the uh, You know, I don't know if they extended all the way to the north of Florida, but I, I mean, I'm most familiar with them being in the, the yeah. southern parts of the state. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense, Tallahassee. Uh, you think about so many of the state capitals in the Midwest, Lansing, Indianapolis, Columbus. I guess Minneapolis isn't really in the center of, I guess St. Paul's the state capital, but Minneapolis-St. Paul's not really in the center of Minnesota, but uh, capital of Iowa is Des Moines. Des Moines. Des Moines. Fairly centrally located. Uh, capital of Missouri, Jefferson City, which is more on the western side of Missouri than the eastern side. More also central, very small city. More central than uh, more central than Kansas City, say. Um, capital of Kentucky, Frankfort, kind of in the middle of the state. So yeah, well, it's, is it pretty far to the east? No, Frankfort's pretty much in the middle. It's All in right. the north. It's northern part of the state, though. Yeah. Um. So we were talking about the Ohio River Valley. Here's my question for you. Is Pittsburgh more of an Appalachian city? Or is it more of a Mississippi River Basin city? So, put it another way. Does Pittsburgh have more in common with Morgantown, Charleston? Uh, I'm trying to think of some other large cities in Appalachia. Asheville, Greenville. Or does it have more in common with Cincinnati, Louisville, St. Louis, Memphis? Well, you know I don't feel the need to categorize things as compulsively as you do. There's shades but, of gray. There's shades of gray. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, it's a little bit of an unfair question just because within Appalachia, there's no city that even approaches Pittsburgh in terms of its size, um, its its economic impact. Um, you know, those, those cities you, you, you just referenced, Morgantown, Asheville, they're, they're, they're small. They're small. Speaking of the Ohio River, we're actually... We're driving over the Ohio River right now. It's a gorgeous river. Um, we're on the I-79 bridge. Uh, really, it really looks nice. Um, yeah. I can see why it was such an appealing place to settle. 
that you can get all the way to the Mississippi. Yeah, just float, just float down. I think there were rapids that had to be navigated around Louisville. Yes. Yes. I don't know if there was any other rapids that had to be navigated. Those are the only ones I'm familiar with, and I think that's part of why Louisville is where it is. Yes. Lou, I've been to Cincinnati, I've been to Pittsburgh, I've been to Louisville, been to St. Louis, I've not been to Memphis. They all strike me as rough towns. Um, segregated, very gritty. I think part of it has to do with the fact that like, because they're on the river, the river has a lot of tributaries going into it, so the neighborhoods tend to be kind of segmented and broken up, and so you don't really know what's like the next neighborhood over. I, I especially get that sense in both Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, uh, but they Pittsburgh's also very hilly too. Yes, yeah. yes. Cincinnati's hilly too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, you know, I I know that like Buffalo, Cleveland, Detroit, those are rough towns too, uh, and maybe it's just cultural differences that I'm reading into because I'm more used to like the Great Lakes Midwest than the Ohio River Valley Midwest. Uh, they they strike me as very different than say the experience in Buffalo, Cleveland, Detroit. Uh, I, I don't. That's just my own subjective kind of gut feeling. Yeah. I don't know. Have yeah. you spent much time in Pittsburgh? Uh, a couple of days, several years ago. So not not I guess not very much time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's a city I'd like to explore more. Um, I haven't been to the art museum in Pittsburgh. Uh, I've explored some of the neighborhoods. I've been to the IKEA in Pittsburgh, but it's not really exploring a city. Well, now we're at a complete stop. I wonder what's going to put, through, put to our ETA. Yeah, it's not going to help. Not going to help. Oh my God, we're over an hour now. On the podcast? Yeah. Well, you're not yeah, supposed to talk to talk talk meta about our podcast as we're recording. Oh, all right. I'm sorry. I don't know. I, I I just made up that rule. I don't Today's know. Today's podcast is brought to you by Meta, not the corporation. The concept. We're making up our podcast rules as we go along because we actually haven't listened to a lot of podcasts. My definition of a podcast is like listening to Wait Wait Don't Tell Me, uh, which is a, a radio show. It's not a podcast, but I play it on the podcast app. So we're if 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 we don't really know what we're doing with regards to podcasts, <sighs> we apologize. Yeah, we don't know. Um, but you know what? We have gotten a few reviews in, and they've been uh, pretty good. What are you hearing? Uh, that, uh, frankly, I hear my tap water joke from our first episode was uh, was killer. Killer. That's what people are saying. That's, that's, what, they, that's, what, they, about. that's what they say about the tap water in Michigan, too. Yeah. Oh, oh, hey oh, Watch out, folks. Um, uh, you know, and then we've gotten some uh, ambiguous feedback, like, did you do that in one take? As if like is that, is that bad? bad? Like I don't it was know. so bad, like they're hoping that we did it in one take because otherwise, if we put more effort into it, they would be really disappointed in us. I, that, that's how I read. That. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, we we are kind of completely searchable on the web. Uh, Tripping on roads with, with Chris and Ben. I think we should do this again. Honestly. Oh, absolutely. Without a, without a question. What's been the most surprising thing to you about doing this podcast? Uh, the fact that we have been able to keep these conversations more or less going without very much dead air. I kind of figured uh, we'd get some some periods where we just kind of ran out of something to talk about and really didn't have the next thing 
queued up, but we've always, uh, and I frankly think that the, the, it's worked best when we haven't had a list of topics in mind. I think you're right. When about that. the one time we did, uh, I felt a little forced. It was a little bit like, are we really going to facilitate this? Do we have to hit all our points? Yeah. I mean, there are things that I think about ahead of time. I was like, okay, I want to try to work that in. I don't know if you feel like that. No, not really. Um, and I got to say, too, that uh, between the last uh, podcast and this one, there's only been like once or twice you've been like, save it for the podcast. You, you've been a little bit less uh, aggressive about not letting me. Uh, maybe I just haven't had you, that many interesting things to say. But you also time. you also don't know my interior monologue. Maybe I'm thinking about, okay, well, I want to save that for the podcast. So I'll bring it back up in the podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I don't want to admonish you. Well, that's nice because I, I, I felt like a a puppy having his nose stuck in his mess. Yeah, I, uh, I apologize for that. I apologize yeah, stop being that. so interesting. Stop being so... Save it, save it! That's pure gold! Save it, save it! So, I don't know what our next trip's going to be. Uh, we'll have to figure that out. Maybe it's going to be to Dolly Sods. Maybe it's going to be back to the Adirondacks. Uh, it might just be a trip to Allegheny. We do a lot of hiking in Allegheny. Uh, Cattaraugus County. We'll have to figure out what that's going to be. Yeah. Any preference from you? Uh, you know what? I just that it's soon. Soon. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's getting to be fall. Uh, there's benefits to, to doing things in the Adirondacks with Alleghenies. You get your leaf peeping in. Uh, then it's winter. So, you know, the overnight is a little bit tougher. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if our podcast listeners hope that it's soon or not. Uh, we'll have to wait till some more reviews come in. Do you see, I just want to mention, do you see what I'm doing right here in terms of the driving? You're just going at a slow, even pace in the right lane. You see how the right lane is going to converge into the left lane, but I'm staying in the right lane and I'm fast by, by, bypassing all the traffic on the left lane. That's what people should be doing. You zipper at yes. the end. Yeah. Yes. That apparently the most efficient way to do is zipper. But a lot of people think that you are uh, being kind of a jerk. Or zippering, um, but that apparently is the most the most efficient way to do this. Yes. So I just want to say I'm not a jerk. That's a long way of me saying I'm not a jerk. Good. I don't think I'm a jerk, at least. I don't know. I'm kind of like George W. Bush. I may be delusional. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe not a war criminal. Me, I'm not a war criminal. Well, there's that. Uh, that's the that's the silver lining. So maybe maybe that should be uh, uh, maybe that should be us signing off. At least, at least, at least, I'm not a war criminal. And what are you? At least not. Oh, I'm. I'm, I'm at least not so many things. Uh, but uh, I'm. I'm not. Uh, oh, I don't even. know. I wish I had something pithy to say here. We'll. We'll. We'll, we'll put that in. <laughs> He's post. not saying anything pithy right now. Yeah. And well, I guess you've been tripping on roads, and I'm. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Until next time.